0: You're one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, a short history of dog training. Your teacher is Dr. Kirsty Zexel, vet and animal behaviourist and adjunct professor at the University of Queensland. Kirsty, good afternoon. We're going to talk, Kirsty, about world wars and uh, various theories from the behaviourists and others and how it has continued to change the way we train our animals. Uh, it, it does change all the time, doesn't it?
1: Yes, it does. It's been really interesting because I looked into this many years ago and I was looking into the history of dog training and it seems we've been training dogs even in BC, there's sort of records of farmers doing some training with dogs and then we don't see much about it at all until the late 1880s and then all of a sudden I guess it became a science in the sense of learning theory and we've heard about Pavlov and a whole pile of other people and it's kind of gone from where one of the first guys wrote about we should reward dogs if we're training them for hunting and we should reward them with meat, which is really interesting, using food to reward dogs in the 1880s. And then it's kind of come in the middle through world wars and now we're back to rewarding dogs with treats. Mm.
0: So, and we'll get, we'll get, we'll get to pa- old Pavlov in a second, but let's start with a horse. Uh, the horse was named Cleaver Hands.
1: Yeah, Clever Hands. It's, it's a really <laughs> Sorry, interesting...
0: Sorry, Clever. Okay, Clever Hands.
1: Yeah, they called him Clever Hans
0: because he was a very
1: clever horse. He um the guy that owned him used to go around and say, that My dog is my horse is fabulous at arithmetic. And he would ask him to do certain things like what's 10 and 12, and if the first Friday of the month is the first, what's the second Friday of the month? What date it, it will be. So all sorts of interesting mathematical questions and people would just Uh, Apparently he never charged for this wonderful thing, but this horse could actually answer the questions by stamping his hoof down a number of times or tapping his hoof and saying, yeah, one plus one is two and three plus three is six or whatever question they asked him, which was really interesting. Um, And people kind of thought, oh, wow, what a fabulous horse this is. Then there was a student in Berlin, because this was a German horse, who said, oh, I don't German. Um, yeah, the horse was German, the owner was German, but the psychology student there said, oh, look, this is really interesting. And he discovered that what the horse was picking up on was the body language of the person who was asking the questions. And what that meant was that the owner of the horse would ask him certain things and the horse would always answer Um, But if he took the horse out of sight or the person who questioned the horse, because after a while they said, well, if you're in the audience, Richard, why don't you ask Clever Hounds a question as well? And the horse would still get it right. And what he discovered was people have very subtle changes in their body language. And what he discovered was that even when he played the horse, (laughs) which is really interesting, um, he could pick up on people's body language that they would hold their breath a little or they'd lift their head a little when the horse got to the right answer so, so that's, that's, that's one two the horse would go oh look i've seen him move his head and he'll stop tapping his
0: horse okay the, the humans were subtly uh, showing the right answer to the horse there's, there's then a period uh, you know pavlov does a bit of this a guy called Thorndike does a little bit of this where they're really studying how you can influence animal behavior by your actions
1: yeah, so that's where learning theory, you know, because there was that period that you may remember where they thought animals didn't have feelings and emotions. And then they were studying could animals learn? And if they could learn, how did they learn? And uh, this is where people started looking at, um, well, I guess Pavlov is the classic one everybody's heard of where, you know, he has these dogs. Um, that would salivate when meat was produced. And then he did. He presented the meat with a sound and there's arguments whether he used a metronome or a bell or whatever. But there was a particular sound he used and he played the sound. The dogs would salivate even if he didn't give them meat. And that's where what we call classical conditioning came about where the dogs actually learnt that a particular thing predicted something else. So we see that in all sorts of places. If you've ever been around a dairy farm, if the cows are expecting to get milked, they hear the milking machines go on and, wow, they let down their milk. And so, you know, people know it with with their own cats and dogs at home too. There's a certain thing that predicts something else. So that's classical conditioning. And then Skinner came along with his famous Skinner box and um, there was a few other sort of scientists in between as well but basically um, they work on something that we now call operant conditioning where you operate on your environment so if you do a certain behavior and a good thing happens the odds are you're going to do that behavior again if you do a certain thing and a not such good thing happens then you're less likely to do that behavior again and that's where operant conditioning and where Most of modern dog training, when people talk about learning theory, they're talking about, well, I'm going to teach the dog to sit if it's it,
0: I'm going to give it a piece of food and pat it on the head and oh, what a good dog it is. All right, so the, 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 the carrot and the stick. And in some ways there's been a, an argument over whether to preference the carrot or preference the stick ever, ever since. The, the stick side of things, in other words, treating them mean when they did something wrong, that really uh, was influenced by World War II, wasn't it? The, the training ideas that came in for dogs being used in war.
1: Yes, because when um, when World War happened, then they wanted dogs to do certain things. Obviously, we still use dogs of war now. We have dogs that are sniffer dogs that check out the bombs and, and ordinances and stuff. And what the particular training method, and mostly it was in Germany by a guy called Conrad Most, where he just felt that you should, um, you train by using punishment. So if you get it wrong, you get into trouble. And That really changed things because the military took that up with a vengeance and it was not only just the German military but um, military organisations all over the world started training their dogs using very forceful methods. And we see it in the police force in those days and, unfortunately, some police forces now. You see it in the military. You see it in um, all sorts of regimented routines, I guess, in the sense of, well, if you... Part of the military, if I say stand, stand, if I tell you to sit, sit, and I guess we see that in lots of military operations these days, and they thought the dogs should be trained in the same methods. And of course, once the military was using it, it kind of gave it credibility, and it filtered out for the general public doing that with their dogs as well.
0: Okay, it did filter out to the general public, but the view now, if we fast forward for you know 50 or, or, or 60 years, it's changed, and those methods are not seen as useful anymore.
1: No, most of the time, uh, the scientists these days, and there's been lots of study looking at different methods of training, whether you use rewards or punishment or a combination of both. And it's generally felt that um, punishment is not the best way to learn, whether you're a human or a dog or a cat or a parrot. And when they've done the studies, certainly in dog training, Positive reinforcement or reward based training is considered the most humane and the best way to go, and it makes sense if you 're learning something whether you and I were at school if you got into trouble for getting it wrong all the time, you really discourage you from learning and what they 've discovered that emotionally dogs who are trained using positive reinforcement are still if they get it wrong they 're still likely to want to give you another answer. whereas if you use punishment all the time, it doesn 't work so well
0: yeah. Prefer the, uh, prefer the carrot to the stick, and you'll get a much better result and forget the training methods of World War II. Dr. Kirsty Sexel, thank you so much for the lesson.
1: You're welcome, Richard.
0: There's a Dr. Kirsty Sexel, veteran animal behaviourist and adjunct professor at the University of Quentin. You can listen back to her lesson online, of course. Uh, next week, a lesson from Liz Ann McGregor, the departing director of the Museum of Contemporary Art. She's heading back to Scotland just for a while, I think. Uh, before she returns to city. So this will be her last lesson for a little while. So join us for that next week on Self-Improvement Wednesday.